Coming up on the Hockey News pregame show, the Hart Trophy race is heating up. We got all the contenders for you. Trade rumors are flying. Is a goaltender the hottest commodity on the market? And joining us from Las Vegas, we got Golden Knights site editor Paul DeLosantos on whether the Golden Knights can go back-to-back. I'm Ryan Kennedy. And I'm Michael Trakos, and this is the Hockey News pregame show, brought to you by Upper Deck. What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. I'm Michael Trikos. With me, as always, is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, uh, let's talk Hart Trophy conversation. And this is one where, you know, I was trying to drop a list, and I was like, okay, we'll get one or two names, maybe three. I'm down to eight, maybe nine names now, Ryan. <laughs> and it's it seems like every day we're going to add a new guy to the list. And the guy that I'm want to start the conversation with is Austin Matthews. Mm. Uh, yet another hat-trick um, over the last few days. This guy is heating up, and yet I could see a scenario where Austin Matthews isn't even a finalist this year. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point where we've had so many crucial performances already, and I, I think for me, you know, Nathan McKinnon in Colorado would probably still be the favorite right now, just in terms of points where he's right up there with Nikita Kucherov, but he has more even strength points than Kucherov does. Uh, He's a better defensive player than Kucherov is. And of course, Colorado is better than Tampa Bay, who are still in the playoff picture, but I'm a little worried right now just in terms of games in hand and stuff like that. But Austin Matthews, I mean, is it points? Is it goals? You know, I mean, there's the Art Ross and the Rocket Richard trophy for both of those, but It just kind of feels like sometimes when you have that many goals, that kind of triumphs assists. Yeah. Right? So Goals are more important, are they not? Yeah. I mean, you could put the buck in the net, and I'm sure there's some dazzling playmakers out there that will disagree with us, but it just feels like viscerally, if a guy has that many goals at a time where his team is without their number one defenseman in Mm -hmm. Morgan Riley, they've missed stars like Mitch Marner and John Tavares due to illness, Matthews stepped up. And granted, this is just a little window. And, you know, Elias Pettersson's been great. Quinn Hughes has been great. Both of them in Vancouver. David Pasternak has been awesome in Boston. And Boston, still one of the best teams in the league. So is that more important, being David Pasternak on a Bruins team that needed his offense and he delivered? Or is it Austin Matthews willing Toronto back into that third spot in the division versus a wild card position. It's interesting. It's interesting, and what's interesting is that Austin Matthews might finish with 70 goals this year. I think Mm -hmm. a conservative number is probably 60 at the rate he's scoring at. He's got 10 more goals than the next highest scorer. And again, uh, you mentioned it. Kucherov, McKinnon, McDavid, Pasternak, Panarin. Um, Whether it's JT Miller or Elias Pettersson from Vancouver, he's got company. And... I was thinking to myself, is there ever a time where a guy scored 70 goals and didn't get the Hart Trophy? Yes, there is. <laughs> Not only it. that, Mario Lemieux scored 85 goals and had 199 points. So he led the league in goal scoring and led the league in points in 1988-89. First year he got the Penguins into the playoffs since being there. Did not win the Hart Trophy. 
The guy who won it, I guess you could probably guess. I'm assuming Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, and I was, and the other assumption is, okay, Wayne Gretzky must have had similar numbers. He only had 54 goals and 168 points that year. It was his first year in L.A., though. Ah. And he turned Bernie Nichols into a 70-goal scorer. There you go. And it's Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Narrative narrative counts, So Yeah, so, you know, Matthews could end up with 80 goals, and we could still be looking at it as, you know, maybe McKinnon gets the Hart Trophy because narrative, he's never won it. It's true, and he's certainly a deserving candidate. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned McDavid. Um, He's going to be a very interesting candidate as well because obviously the Oilers got off to that horrendous start. He was banged up. He missed some games. He didn't look like himself in some of the other games after he returned. So you look at the numbers he's putting up, and he's steadily climbing. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's, he's third getting, right now. He's third, you know, and he, I think he's maybe about 10 points behind. About that, 11 points. There you go. But would you bet against McDavid for the Art Ross by the time things are said and done? We, we've got you know, uh, he, probably he, about 27, 28 games left for a lot of these teams. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm putting money on it, McDavid wins the Art Ross. And I think if he wins the Art Ross, and here's the other thing. Dreisaitl doesn't finish in the top five, and right now he's outside the top ten in scoring. Because uh-huh. that's always the thing that goes against McDavid. It's either the Oilers stink <coughs> that year, right, or Dreisaitl's one or two in scoring. Yeah, and you're like, well, how many? Did both they of those really guys, yeah, him? both those guys are so important to the team. So how do you say, okay, this guy's the most valuable to his team when you know he's got a guy shotgun who's Very either got 50 goals or yeah, uh, yeah. whatever. Um, and I, I think that's kind of working with Matthews this year is because Marner's not in the top 10. Mm. Nylander is. Um, with McKinnon, you got Ranton in the top 10. How about a guy like Artemi, Artemi Panarin? Like the Rangers right now are leading uh, uh, the Metro last time I checked. Mm-hmm. Kind of going under the radar, is he not? He really is. And I wonder if it's because, you know, when we think of the Rangers, it's like, well, they got Adam Fox yeah. and, you know, Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. And then, you know, Igor Shosturkin hasn't been a lights-out goalie this year. But there is that sort of reputation where the Rangers, they, they feel more like a, a unit than yeah. some of the other teams. Like, when you think Edmonton, you think McDavid Dreisaitl. Um, I mean, Colorado obviously has Kale McCarr as well. But, yeah, Panarin's a sneaky one. The other thing I'll bring up, too, you know, like in Vancouver, you mentioned they got several different candidates. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, Thatcher Demko's been really good. But goaltenders in general. Good point. Because there's so many guys right now, what about a Connor Hellbuck in Winnipeg? Like, do, do, does a goalie get love where some of the other forwards might split the vote? That'll be kind of intriguing. I know we talked about Demko before, but, you know, with, you know, you got Quinn Hughes, you got PD, you got JT Miller. Yeah. I think Demko's... I don't, I don't put him into the Hart Trophy conversation, Maybe. but Hellebuck, you take Hellebuck out of Winnipeg, mm-hmm. that's not a playoff team. Maybe not. And I was going to joke, too, you take Demko out of the Canucks lineup and they lose 10-7 to Minnesota. <laughs> you got Casey's dismissed. You got Casey's dismissed, that? So, I mean, maybe that's four was Demko. Is that, that not wild? No pun intended, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was joking that Vancouver, they could have kicked the late field goal, but they decided to go for it on fourth and one, and so they couldn't three, tie it. Three guys get hat trick, and none of them are named Elias Pedersen. True. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah, very much so. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think the voting, it'll probably come down to, like, McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid, 
at the end of the day, I think Pasternak should probably be in there. I think he should. Yeah. Okay, so what's your top three look like right now as we're looking into like, whatever, mid, late February? Yeah, I would vote McKinnon right now. Um, and then I would probably go Matthews because of goals. Mm-hmm. And then I might go Pasternak just because of how good Boston is yeah. and how important he's had to be for them. And McDavid would obviously be a, a close fourth. Yeah, my, I think I'd go Matthews, Cooch, and then McDavid. Mm, no and McKinnon. No McKinnon. Mm. And, and I get it. You, you don't have Landeskog there. And we're going to talk more abs in terms of what they need at the trade deadline. Just talk that yeah. you know, they might go after Scott Lawton. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because no Nachushkin for a while. Too. No Nachushkin also. But you still got Kale McCarr. It's true. And it's like you got a Norris Trophy final. Not that that should discount what McKinnon's been able to do, but... Mm. You know, Matthews, I just, I look at the goals and it's like, what has he got, six hat-tricks this year? It's just kind of insane. And same thing with Kucherov. That's an aging Tampa team Mm. where, you know, his points really do matter this year. And like we said, McDavid is McDavid. Very true, yeah. And like I say, for me, Kucherov, a lot of it's on the power play, which they still count. Uh, But I'm kind of worried that at the end of the year, Tampa either misses the playoffs or they make the wild card by a point. And then you sort of debate, well, that makes Kudrov even more important because they wouldn't have even made the playoffs without him. Or how important was he if they barely made the playoffs? And Mike, let's do some rumor mongering because the trade deadline is maybe not fast approaching, but it's getting there. We're almost there. And um, a lot of names out there. Who do you use the... The biggest name out there right now. Yeah, there's a lot of names out there, Ryan, but are there, like, big-time sexy names? Mm. And I would argue no. Like, Jake Gensel probably still remains the top dog in terms of um, who could get moved at the deadline. He's injured. He is. So, and and I'm not so convinced that Pittsburgh still is going to, you know, part ways with him. And then the other guy out there, Vladimir Tarasenko, again, is he... He's not the Tarasenko where the Blues had him, where he's winning a championship. He's not the Tarasenko of five years ago. No, so I'm not seeing a whole lot of names on the forward list. Obviously, Phil Kessel getting, um, going to Vancouver. I know that's not a trade deadline right? Move, but that's sort of like... It's fun. That, yeah, and that tells you just like where we're at right now. How, how about you? Like just amongst the forwards, because I know we're going to talk about other positions, but are you seeing that sort of... You know, is there a number one center out there? Eh. Is there a number one winger out there? Maybe, but like, what, what are you hearing? Or what are you seeing? Yeah, so, I mean, yes, Jake Ensel is injured right now, but it feels like the timeline would be around the deadline or maybe a bit afterwards. If I'm a contender and I need a scoring winger, and, you know, we are going to be talking to our Vegas correspondent, Paul mm-hmm. De Los Santos, in the, in the next uh, segment, I'm kind of wondering, you know, like, does Vegas pull off that big move once again? Um, Jake Ensel, again, just always a top-end playoff performer, mm-hmm. right? Like, he just turns into a monster in the postseason. Uh, he obviously has, you know, a made championship runs with Pittsburgh. You take him out of Pittsburgh, though, is, he, is there that fear that he can't do it? He's doing it because he's in Pittsburgh? I don't think Because he plays so. with 87? I don't think so. I think we've seen him have runs where he was like the best penguin or or close to it. And say he goes to Vegas or Colorado or Edmonton. And granted, cap wise, I don't know if any of those work. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's good. If, if you're a contending team, you have a number one center, yeah. right? And you probably have a pretty decent number two center. 
So Jay Gensel will find people that he can play with. So I'm not too worried about that. Anthony Mantha's kind of intriguing as well, although he's been intriguing his entire career. Yeah. And it's just a matter of, okay, well, is it going to happen, right? Because he's got the size. Uh, he was a terrific goal scorer in junior. We've seen flashes of it in the NHL. To me, he would be kind of the, the option at forward on the wing where it's like, okay, well, if Gensel's off the table, then maybe Mantha can be not at the same level but provide something similar. I'd also say Anthony Duclair as well. I've said this before, you know, covering the Stanley Cup final last year, the Panthers, they couldn't get barely anything going against Vegas. Mm-hmm. But Anthony Duclair, the way he played, because he is a fast guy. He always gets he, breakaways. He always gets breakaways. Always. But even, even when he was just using his speed uh, to you know, disrupt Vegas and, and to get in on the forecheck and to get in on the puck, I thought he was the most effective Panthers player uh, because a lot of them were trying to go toe-to-toe with Vegas. Mm-hmm. And you know, while that worked against Carolina and Toronto, it didn't work against the Golden Knights, and that's why it was such a lopsided series. And obviously Matthew Kachuk was hurt as well. But I thought DeClaire was very effective in the playoffs, and I think he could do so again on a contender. Another name that's been out there and linked to Colorado and Buffalo, Scott Lawton. Um, That's an interesting one. And you think, okay, with well, the Flyers where they are right now, why would they move a guy like Lawton? And he's not a rental. He's got two years left still, um, and it drops down to $3 million a year. It's a pretty good contract, and depending on what the Flyers are after, because I don't, I'm not sure that they're going to be buyers at the deadline, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're going to be sellers, but this could be one of those moves where, you know, maybe they move a Lawton out to, like I said, a Colorado who is sniffing around because they don't have um, Nikushkin. Um, mm. They don't have Landeskog. They might get Landeskog later. But, you know, that's not a guy in Lawton that's going to be a top-line uh, scorer. I think he's only got seven goals, 25 points this year. Yeah. But a gritty player, yeah. perfect playoff kind of performer type player. And, you know, depending on what the Flyers are looking for back, maybe it's one of those ones where, you know, they don't get worse. They don't, they kind of almost kind of, it's a lateral move. It's a, yeah, I, I could see the Flyers being kind of like tweakers. Because we've yeah. talked about Sean Walker and, and we can talk about defensemen uh, soon. But it really feels that GM Daniel Briere has a particular vision mm-hmm. for this team alongside, you know, uh, obviously Keith Jones up there. Uh, in the uh, in in the in the Flyers brass and coach John Tortorella and you know there might be players that they're they're great players and the Flyers like them but in terms of their age and exactly. the scenario it, it might just not all line up so they got an eye on the future and an eye on this season exactly sure. so you know maybe you know, Lawton gets traded for somebody who's slightly younger that maybe might not be at his level yet, but has that potential, or it's a combination of assets. So it's very intriguing. Because that's the thing. When you look at the trade deadline, I think sometimes all we do is like... Contenders. <laughs> contenders, but also we look at the Jake Gensels, the Casey Middlestats, guys who are declares, guys who are like, oh, wow, this guy's got 20-goal potential. It's gonna, mm. He's going to fit in on your top six. But a lot of times, like, what's missing and the missing ingredient from some of these teams is, hey, we need a guy who's like a third-line grinder totally. who, you know what, maybe he's going to provide some depth scoring, but more than that is just going to give us that little bit of more of an edge. 
I always go back to something uh, our colleague Ken Campbell said, which was one year Michael Hanzus was the best <laughs> trade deadline acquisition. Wasn't the sexiest, but it was exactly what that team needed to win a Stanley Cup. So I'm, I'm totally with you there. Uh, but let's talk about defensemen for a minute because, I mean, there are some intriguing names. Sean Walker uh, in Philly being one of the most. And again, mm-hmm. the Flyers like him. His teammates love him. He's a great guy in the room. But in terms of just you know where he is in his career, by the time Philly is an actual contender, Walker might have sort of aged out of that bracket. And, and they know that they can probably get a pretty good package for him now because of how well he's playing. And then, of course, we also have Calgary. How many of those defensemen do we see traded at the deadline? Chris Tanev, Noah Hannafin, are there any others for that matter? Yeah, I don't know if they have any more defensemen that are going to get traded, but yeah. you know, include Jacob Markstrom in that mix too. Sure. And you, you very well could see a package deal going to one team where it's like Markstrom plus Hannafin mm. or Markstrom plus Tanev, um, maybe going to the Leafs where you're like, okay, well, we got our goaltending s- uh, sorted out and we got a little bit more insurance, plus we got a defenseman. So yeah. I can see a lot of teams being intrigued by that and maybe putting together some sort of package. But yeah, it, for me... Again, when we're talking about a guy like Chris Tanev, he's not like a sexy player. Mm-hmm. Um, what's he going to give you? Well, some penalty kill minutes. Some block shots. Some block shots. He's going to put his face in front of a shot. Yeah. So, you know, it, it goes back to what you're saying. Sometimes it's like, you know, that those moves are the most impactful moves. Mm-hmm. And if you're Calgary, do you, do you go all out in terms of selling at this point? Or do you... Find that middle road where you say, well, we can still maybe make the playoffs. I don't know. I think once Elias Lindholm gets moved, it's the fire sale now. Right, right. Like, how do you kind of backtrack off that? Yeah. No, that's fair. I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm of the belief that, you know, especially when you're in a division with Vegas, Mm. with Edmonton, you know, with Vancouver now, you've got to, you can't just be sort of okay. Right. You've got to be a really good team. Yeah, that's fair. Also worth noting that Minnesota's creeping up the standings oh in that God. wild card spot. So you get more competition there where, you know, you got St. Louis uh, also in the central where they could have that crossover. Uh, one name we didn't mention that uh, has been out there is Adam Henrique mm. uh, with Anaheim. Do you see him moving? And could he go back to New Jersey? Yeah, that's that's another one. We talk about Jersey. Like they're obviously gunning for a goaltender, whether it's Markstrom. Yes. And I've heard UC Saros now being mentioned. Uh, that would be pretty as, wild for Nashville. Yeah, and I don't know what Nashville situation is with Askarov. Mm-hmm. If he's he still seems like he's a couple years away. I guess we can chat a bit more about that when we're talking more future watch stuff. There but, you go. Yeah, UC Saros, like what a coup that would be for the Devils. True. And, and if, you, if you're looking at the goaltending market, how would you kind of rate it? Would you put, you know, Markstrom ahead of Saros or Saros ahead of Markstrom? Or is there another guy that sort of intrigues you? I would go Markstrom because, uh, as we all know, I like big goaltenders. <laughs> Such a yeah. discriminatory. Yeah, UC Saros, as good as he is, when was the last time he won a playoff series? Has he ever won a playoff series? I'm not sure. Right. So, <laughs> and you can say Nashville hasn't been the same since he, you know, because Pekka Rene was the goaltender of record when they went to the Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Markstrom, for me, at least, it's like you get that security. He's a big goaltender. We've seen him get really hot. And if you put, you know, you put him in the right situation, 
he could be that guy for you. And, and then you get like Jake Allen, who to me is more of a like security blanket. Like he's not your starter, but yeah. he is that guy where it's like, well, if somebody goes down and we have to go to Jake Allen, we're fine with that. Yeah, you got Marc-Andre Fleury out there as well. That um, do we have Kakanen out there as well? Like there's a lot of goaltenders. It seems like yeah. if you're a team in need of a goalie and basically that's, you know, a lot every, do. almost every playoff team right now. Uh, it needs a starter goaltender, a backup, or mm-hmm. just a little bit more insurance, especially if you're, you know, if, if you're a team like Carolina or Toronto or yeah. even Edmonton, you're going, geez, um, is goaltending going to be our Achilles heel? You don't want it to be. Mm. Is a Marc-Andre Fleury just good to have not only as a backup option, but just in the room? We are joined by Vegas Golden Knights site editor Paul De Los Santos. And, Paul, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Doing, thanks man? for having me. Yeah, well, those Vegas Golden Knights, uh, you know, they win the championship last year. They basically are icing pretty much the same team this year. And yet, I don't know how many people are actually talking about them as legitimate contenders. And maybe it's because, you know, in that division, we've got Vancouver, we've got Edmonton, and then in the Central, we've got Colorado. But how do you think the things are stacking up for the Golden Knights as they go for back-to-back here? I think the Vegas are stacking up just about roughly what they were planning for last year. I think very much it's a case of what happened a year ago, which is that a lot of teams weren't really expecting them. They were kind of just like flying under the radar. Then they beat Edmonton in that playoff series. And next thing you know, they're beating Dallas and winning the Stanley Cup. So I think ultimately they're kind of on track to do what they did last year because given how quiet – you know, a lot of people are on the Vegas Golden Knights. I think the same thing happened last year where there was a lot of other teams that kind of got the attention. Like Boston was taking a lot of attention. And Vegas kind of just flew under the radar until the final. And next thing you know, they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and Paul, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, speaking of the Oilers, they had that great win streak snapped by Vegas. And to me, that was very telling where it was almost the Golden Knights saying, you still have to go through us in the <laughs> West. It's like, you, you know, we're not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with us. Um, does it feel like the Golden Knights have that playoff formula? I mean, we saw how heavy they were, obviously, in the cup final against Florida. Yeah, I think they do. I think ultimately it comes down to can they be healthy again? I think this team, when it's healthy, is one of the best teams in the league. And they have depth at four positions, as we saw the evolution of Nick Waugh as he plays up on the line with Jonathan Marcheseau and Ivan Barbashev. I think his development has really come along. I think they're still a heavy team. And I think they still have to go through Vegas in the West. I think ultimately Edmonton still has to prove that they have to beat Vegas in the seven-game series, which is very difficult to do because Bruce Cassidy makes these adjustments and he's very good at coaching up in a seven-game series. And we'll see what happens. I mean, it's ultimately, it's, right now it's looking like a Edmonton-Vegas series, which would be fantastic for the NHL in terms of just overall uh, what would look like a great first-round matchup. Yeah, who doesn't want Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid again? Yeah, totally. And, you know, what's the latest with Jack Eichel there, Paul? Uh, I understand that he has been out for some time, but, uh, you know, with a healthy Eichel, um, how different is this lineup? With a different Eichel, they go four deep. I think they have four. They build through the center line, and they have four centers that are really capable of doing what is expected of them, which is play sound defensively and play – and do what they do best on the rush. And basically, Jack Eichel right now is like, they're in no rush to hurry him back given how well Nicholas Wall is playing. And also with um, the injury that was a lower body injury, he should be back later, like early March, mid-March is what the timeline is. 
Um, that's what I've heard from people. So we'll see what happens uh, if they keep them out a little longer if they're playing well or if they need to get them back as soon as possible. Uh, now, uh, two guys that have been playing well pretty much all year, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson. It feels like, you know, goaltending, uh, it was obviously a strength during that cup run. Uh, but even, you know, last year before Logan Thompson got hurt, we were talking maybe Calder Trophy. How do you see the goaltending, again, heading into the stretch drive and, and, and that depth that it seems like whoever Vegas puts in net seems to catch fire? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the defensive system that Bruce Cassidy has installed. I mean, it's just a really solid stay in front, stay at, stay at home and kind of not let, not let the junk kind of get in front of the net. I think ultimately it comes down to health. I think ultimately what we're looking at with Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson to a degree, I think Logan's a little more durable than Aiden. But I think overall we're seeing it right now with uh, you know, Aiden Hill coming back from a lengthy stay on the IL. And basically he needs to be a little healthier and kind of and kind of stay healthy if they're going to make a cup run. Because I don't know how much they trust Jerry Patera. I, I just know that they trust him enough to play him when they need to. But I think they rode Logan Thompson a little hard um, when it came to – when Aiden Hill was out. So it comes down to health and ultimately when they have health, they're just, they're two talented goalies that don't get a lot of recognition right now. Aiden Hill is one of the top goalies in the league, but he doesn't have the name value like a Connor Hellebuck or, or even, or even Igor Shosturkin despite his down season. So overall, I think uh, Aiden Hills should be in the conversation for Vesna. Yeah. I wonder if they don't get the recognition is because of, you know, Vegas's defense is just, you know, that, that is their calling card and the way that Bruce Cassidy coaches, you know, even the forwards are, you know, we saw it in Boston. Right. I know Patrice Bergeron was a lot of why Boston played that way, but I think Cassidy, the way he coaches is a like... Mark Stone. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's all defense all the time. Um, but I want to ask you about Phil Kessel there, Paul. And I, I think, you know, secretly, every hockey fan wants Phil Kessel back in the NHL because, you know, the NHL is more fun when you got a guy like Kessel. Totally. The, the Iron Man, yeah. so to speak. Um, let's talk about... Forget about what Phil Kessel is today. What was he for the Vegas Golden Knights last year? I know he wasn't in the lineup when, you know, when they were winning that cup, but he was around that team. He's a very important player. Um, can you talk to us just about, you know, what he means to any team, uh, especially like the Vancouver Canucks who are trying to do what Vegas did last year, uh, what he means off the ice as much as he does on the ice? I think what Phil Kessel offers is ultimately just a good locker room presence i think he's experienced enough that can help that young vancouver team he helped this vegas team kind of stay focused during their lulls and ultimately phil kessel just his presence in the locker room gives people a feeling that you know we are need we need him to kind of show us what to do what we need to do to win i think that helped a lot when it came to not just kessel but also a lot of experience in the room in terms of winning the stanley cup i think that helped their the cup run i think just having phil kessel overall is going to help a room in terms of just understanding what's expected of you, what's expected to win the Stanley Cup, what's expected to do the day-to-day maintenance, and especially given his Ironman streak, I think day-to-day maintenance is a big thing, and staying healthy can show you how to show show them how to stay healthy. And generally, just overall, just having a good guy in the room is never a bad thing for a for a hockey club. Right. And Paul, you know, we've, we've been doing a lot of trade deadline talk, even though we still got a couple of weeks here, but. What do you anticipate from the Golden Knights? Is it going to be a busy deadline? Is it going to be a quiet one? What are you hearing? Well, right now it's kind of tough to really gauge because the cupboard is kind of not 
as sexy as another a lot of other teams when it comes to prospect lists. But in terms of the trade deadline, you never know in Vegas. I mean, they, they'll be in on any big name that comes around, and they'll try and figure out a way. I mean, they somehow were in for Timo Meyer last year, which I still don't know what they were offering New, uh, San Jose for <laughs> Timo Meyer, but they were in for him. So do you never know in Vegas? They could stand pat, and if I were Vegas, I would stand pat with the team I have just because, A, they've done it before, and, B, I don't know. I don't want anything to disrupt the kind of apple cart, so to speak, in terms of like the flow that the lines have gotten and the flies will get when Jack Eichel comes back. So I don't know what they're going to do in terms of like who they can target. They they need a wing. That's probably the weakest area right now is specifically on the William Carlson line, the third wing. But they have Paul Cotter there when they're fully healthy. So it's just it's, it'll be interesting for Vegas in his perspective that you don't know what they're going to do. Like they can stand pat. They can buy. It's, it's, it's going to be a wild ride come the trade deadline for Vegas. Yeah. And knowing Bill Foley, knowing Kelly McCrimmon, they're going to go all in again. Yeah. Like they just, you know, one championship is not enough. There you go. So I'd love to see it. Listen, Paul, thanks for joining us on the the hockey news pregame show coming up after the break. We're going to be talking, you know, more prospects and maybe not what Vegas has to offer, but what some of the other NHL teams have to offer deadline. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by Upper Deck and Mike. Great timing there because we're going to get into some future watch now. And obviously, when you talk about young guns, as we do in future watch, you talk about some of the top young names coming out of the game. And Upper Deck Series 2 coming out March 6th, including the highly anticipated Connor Bedard young gun card. They also have the Outburst Gold, one of one to look for. So a lot of fun cards to look for coming up. And uh, we actually had, we, uh, we have Series 1 here, and we pulled out the Simon Edvinson young gun card a while ago. So Future Watch, yep. the classic Hockey News magazine, coming out very soon, probably around the same time as Upper Deck Series 2 as it would happen. So a little sneak peek here, and we did this uh, online on, on thehockeynews.com last week in my column. I'm going to give you alphabetically the top five NHL prospects in Future Watch. So alphabetically, Brant Clark of the Los Angeles Kings, Simon Edmondson of the mm-hmm. Detroit Red Wings, Cutter Gauthier, now of the Anaheim Ducks, Mathieu Mitchkoff of the Philadelphia Flyers, and Will Smith of the San Jose Sharks. So those are the top five alphabetically. Now, you wrote about Will Smith for Future Watch. Uh, what was that like? Uh, really interesting. Um, so, obviously, Will Smith plays with Cutter Goche at Boston College, and mm-hmm. what a star studded team. Uh, they got Ryan Leonard, who was another first round pick. Um, they've got Gabe Pirro, another first round pick. So, when you're talking about four guys there that are going to just be, they all like probably are going to have the 
future superstar tag Definitely. attached to their name. Yeah. Um, it, it's a pretty fun team. You could see how they're just all dominating. I think all of them have 40-plus points. And, you know, when I talked to Gabe Perot and Ryan Leonard and Will Smith about their kind of roles, because all three of those guys play on the same line, yeah. Will Smith is sort of the, the cerebral one, um, very high hockey IQ. And when I talked to the Sharks development coach, uh, uh, Todd Marchand about Will Smith, the thing that stood out for him is this guy wants to win. Um, mm -hmm. He's not just going out there trying to get his points. Uh, one of the main things is, you know, there's players who are good in the regular season and there's players who are good in the playoffs. And Will Smith identified himself as a guy that, you know, when the stakes are highest, he's a guy that comes up big. And you, you've, you saw this for the Team USA. Yeah. Um, you know, when the U.S. was sort of on the ropes against Finland, uh, it was Will Smith's line that step, uh, stepped up. And against Sweden in the gold medal game, again, it was Will Smith and Cutter Goche mm -hmm. who both shone, uh, shined for them. Yeah, and I was going to say, not only are all four of those guys at Boston College, and they do have a chance at a national championship, no doubt, but all four won gold with that Team USA World Junior squad. Just stacked. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, going into that tournament, we all knew Team USA was going to be the favorite. But to see... Leonard, Perot, and Smith all have the role they did. And to think that they're all eligible to play next year, yeah. that one, it, to me, is going to be so fun to watch. If all three of them stay in college, right? Because you never know. If Boston College wins the championship this year, Will Smith in particular could certainly help the Sharks out next year as a top six center. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, hey, it's a lot for a teenager, but San Jose's rebuilding. And if you look at... You know, a center with some decent size and his kind of hockey IQ, I kind of feel like it's not going to take much more for him to at least be able to contribute at the NHL level. And, and it's funny because I, I did bring that up to Will Smith. I said, hey, are there designs of, like, can you, are you kind of itching to kind of get to the NHL and contribute to the Sharks? And he's like, no, no, I want to win a national championship. Uh -huh. That's why we all decided to go to Boston College. And it was kind of funny, like, can't remember which one was first. It was. It might have been Ryan Leonard who said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm committing to Boston College." And then yeah. it was like Will Smith said, "Okay, I'm going." And then the last guy was like, "Oh, I guess I have to go." Yeah, Perot was the last. Yeah. Yeah, because they're all they all played not only uh, together at the NDTP, but they're actually on the line together. Yeah. So it was very much like, "Hey, we're coming here to win a national championships, a national championship," and that's still like their number one goal. They don't mm -hmm. even care about the uh, the NHL right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that is pretty typical with college students, even the high-end ones. It's like you have that mission, and then after that you think, okay, well, where do I go from here? Um, let's switch over now. It's funny. Uh, earlier in the show we talked about Nashville. Mm -hmm. UC Saros, will he you know, get moved at the deadline? Yaroslav Askarov, to me, he's been a fascinating prospect for years right now, but he is the next guy in Nashville. So the question is, how soon does Yaroslav Askarov become the starter with the Preds? Well, that's kind of, I want to flip it to you. Like, yeah. you, you named your top five not in order, and I didn't hear Askarov's name. Mm -hmm. You said alphabetical. Why wasn't he the first guy you right, mentioned? Right, right, right. Is that a surprise that he wouldn't be in the top five? And does that shed some light as to maybe how good these other five prospects are, mm. or is Askarov maybe not developed at the the level that we were kind of expecting of a guy who, you know, 
I think everyone thought he's the next Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, no, I, th I still think he has that uh, capability. And, you know, the other name I would mention is Jesper Wallstead, mm -hmm. the Minnesota Wild prospect. Uh, I think with both of them, I'm sure they are uh, very high in future watch as well. They have been in past years. Uh, goaltenders, it's always like tricky, yeah. right? Because the development path is so different that typically um, you don't see them that high in future watch, but you will see them like top 10. I remember seeing Jacob Markstrom there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was he not the number one or at least on a cover of an old future watch magazine? Mm. And it was one of those things where it's like, is he still the still going to be the guy because right. he hasn't developed? And you're right. It just takes sometimes like guys are like, 26, 27 before they make an impact in the NHL as a goalie. Yeah, it can certainly happen that way. And it's funny, too, because you look at some of the top goalies uh, of the past couple of years, and like Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin, mm -hmm. both of them, I mean, I think they were like 25 when they came over to the NHL right. because they were in the KHL, they were getting good development there. It was obviously comfortable for them. So goaltenders, you kind of have to have a different mindset where it's not going to be like a Will Smith, a Brant Clark, a, a Simon Evanson, where you know you want to see them in their early 20s uh, in the NHL because they can fit in. Uh, goaltenders, they just take longer. Speaking of Brant Clark, I was looking at it. So in the HL, both Edvinson and Clark are both playing in the American Hockey League right now. Mm. Edvinson uh, putting up decent numbers. I think he's got six goals, 23 points in 42 games. I was looking at it. Brant Clark, though, aside from Logan Mayu, I don't think there's a defenseman, a rookie defenseman who's putting up the numbers he's putting up. Mm -hmm. um, only defensemen in, in that top five that you mentioned. Yeah, and Brant Clark has always been more offensively inclined than Simon Evanson. Simon Evanson, he's got the great size as well, right? So you see him more of as a, a two-way guy. But Brant Clark, uh, who I know he was up with the Kings recently because he scored the overtime winner, so good for him. But he's the guy that you look at where he could quarterback a power play right. and he can make that transition play. And obviously we saw his heroics at the World Juniors for Canada a couple of years ago. So I think, you know, they're both defensemen, but they're very different defensemen. So it's sort of an interesting thing uh, to look at. Now, um, speaking of teams, we'll talk about, uh, you know, pipelines. Uh, and, and for my column this week, I think that might be the next teaser mm. for Future Watch Weekly. These cupboards are stacked the most. <laughs> exactly. It's like, we, you know, we rank them in Future Watch, and it is going to be on newsstands in a couple of weeks, but who are the top five teams? So... I'm going to throw this question out of the have-not teams, of non-playoff teams right now, based on their prospects, mm -hmm. who, do you who do you think is going to make the jump next season? And I'll, I'll have my answer as well. Yeah, so a lot of them will probably depend on who gets Macklin Celebrini True. in the draft. That being said, you know, there's some teams that are still a couple years away. And I, and I think Anaheim and San Jose, for me, uh, they're still a couple years away, even if they get the number one pick. I honestly, I, I think it's going to be Montreal. Oh, really? Yeah, and I know, you know, the road ahead is probably going to be difficult for them because, you know, let's face it, we're still waiting on Buffalo to make the jump. True. We're waiting on Ottawa to make the jump. And Detroit, whether they're a playoff team or not, they're still kind of fighting their way through. Mm. But, you know what, I, I think with Logan Mayu there, um, we'll see who they end up in, with in the draft this year. And um, I don't know how close a guy like, is it David Radden? Reinbacher. Reinbacher. Yeah. I don't know how far along he is. But, you know, 
I still think the, the Montreal Canadiens, even with the young guys they have right now in Caulfield and Slavkovsky, mm. I think they're almost poised to go. Interesting. I think it might be Anaheim. You actually think Yeah. That, oh. Yeah, because I like how they're dealing with Leo Carlson, and they got Gauthier, who you, could be you with You love them. Cutter. I love Cutter Gauthier, yeah. So, anyways, rapid-fire time. Let's go. Producer Connor, hit us up with some questions. We got a real rapid-fire, because you got carried away with the last segment. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Morgan Riley's suspension being upheld by Gary Bettman? I'm fine with it. I thought the suspension was reasonable in the first place. I understand the appeal. You got to do it, but it's cool with me. Yeah, I'll echo what Ryan said. Five games. Um, he's already missed four, so yeah, it's, it's what I expected. And good news for the Leafs. They still win. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of the Leafs, Austin Matthews. Yes or no? Does he hit 70 goals? Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. He's healthy, and that's, uh, that's always been a big thing with him. Yeah, I think so. I, I think as the, the games get even more important, I think he's going to find it that, you know, he needs to even score more. That's right. So, um, I don't know how many hat-tricks he's going to get. You should ask, is he going to get 10 hat-tricks this year? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a possibility. Whoa. Is he going to get 10 hat-tricks this year? Yes. <laughs> no, that's way too many hat-tricks. <laughs> Seven. All right. What is the worst cliche hockey answer? The one I hate the most is when you talk to a player and you said, well, that's a good team over there, when they've <laughs> just played the worst team in the league. Like, I guess objectively, if you're an NHL team, you're one of the best teams in the world. Technically, you're one of top 32. But if you're staring at the last place team, it's like somebody has to be bad. There has to be a bad team. If they've only won eight games all year, that's a bad team. You still have to be careful, but that's not a good team over there. That's a bad team over there. Um, it is what it is. Uh, yes, it is. It is what it is. What is it? Yeah, but what is it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a hockey cliche or just a general cliche, but I hear it a lot. Hockey players do love it. Yeah. Yes. Get pucks in deep. That's the drives me nuts. Ah. When will the first player who wears full face protection start playing in the NHL? Ooh, this is a good one. Are you saying mandated or by choice? By choice. I don't think it ever happens. I don't think it does either. There's too much of a peer pressure factor where it's like it's uncool. Yeah, unless somebody does like the Rip Hamilton NBA thing where he was so comfortable with the face mask that he just kept it on. Yeah, do you have to wear it in major junior? No. Not full. Do you have to wear it in college? Yes. So it could be a US college player. Maybe. At the same time, he's got to be a really pretty player. There you go. <laughs> what about mandatory? Mandatory? Uh, maybe 10 years? If there's an incident? Yeah, I just, and that's the thing. It's going to have to be something where a guy gets, you know, loses more than just teeth. Right. Like another uh, Brian yes. Burrard kind yeah, of incident yeah. where the guy's blinded, um, something severe happens. Yeah. Um, even then, guys have been blinded and it's they true. Just don't have it. Yeah, yeah. All right. We thought maybe when the Taylor Hall thing happened, but who knows. Final question Who is the nicest player you've ever talked to? The one that comes to mind for me is uh, Ryan Johansson. I remember interviewing him in the room one time, and I was like, hey, Ryan, you got a second? And he literally patted the bench, and he was like, yeah, come sit down. <laughs> I was like, oh, how nice. So yeah, there's my answer. Uh, give me a Swede, any Swede, uh, whether it's Nicholas Lidge from Victor Hedman or Peter Forsberg. All they're all ones. gentlemen, and they're all great. And this guy, I don't know if he's Swedish or not, but he's also great. <laughs> Listen, this was the Hockey News pregame show. We're going to thank Upper Deck for today's sponsor, and we'll see you next time at the rink.